The Baggies Podcast, giving you the latest news, views and opinions on all things Albion. Now available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hello Baggies fans and welcome to the Baggies Podcast. It's episode number 32 coming up on today's episode. We're going to be reviewing a very wet and windy Hawthorns clash between Manchester United and West Bromwich Albion, a game in which we didn't lose. Yeah, I've been waiting to say that for a couple of weeks now, well, since the Fulham game, but we didn't lose and we managed to pick up a 1-1 draw against Manchester United at the Hawthorns, a very good result, but maybe it wasn't, uh, well, it shouldn't have been the result that came out of the game, we're going to be discussing that later on. We're also going to be previewing the Burnley clash, which comes next week, which is going to be an interesting one. A must win is a simple way to put it. We also, uh, earlier this week, I spoke to Joe Chapman from the Birmingham Mail, who spoke to me about his time reporting on the Albion, his time reporting on it, and also um, what he hopes for for this season and his opinions on this season so far. So plenty to chat about, uh, as I did with Joe. You can hear that interview. It's the third item on the podcast. We're also, the final item is going to be hearing your thoughts. Obviously, it's great that you guys get involved in the podcast so regularly. I'm going to be reading out some of your tweets later on. So, without further ado, this is the Baggies Podcast. It's episode 32. Wherever you're listening, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, don't YouTube even. If you're watching me now, you'll be able to see me waving at you. Hi. Um, but yes, welcome to the podcast. Uh, you'll be able to find me on Twitter at the Baggies Pod or at LouisBent underscore. Either one. Either one works. Just go and check it out. Links are in the description of the podcast. And without further ado, it's episode 32. Let's get straight into it. But yes, as I mentioned, a wet and windy clash at the Hawthorns uh, today. It was a very interesting one, to say the least. One in which, <laughs> yeah, things are things were a bit a bit strange at the Hawthorns today. We played a, a game against Manchester United and drew one all with them. So obviously, a good point, a point against a, a better opposition, a team that are third in the league. Could have had the chance to go second, but didn't take it. Let's run through the lineup, and I'm going to give you my thoughts on each each player who played today. So the changes coming in were Pereira and Jokoslu. Uh, Jokoslu in for his his, day, his Premier League start. Uh, so there's a couple of changes in there that were brought in for Sawyers and I think Carlin Grant. So let's run through the lineup. In goal we had Sam Johnston, we had Peltier, Ajayi, Bartley, Townsend, Jokoslu, Snodgrass, Maitland-Niles, Gallagher, Pereira, Diagne. So that was the team that we lined up with against Manchester United today. Uh, so let's let's go through this lineup. So Johnston today. I mean, f- firstly, I'll go through the events of the match. Actually, so we went one nil up after two minutes, and Bayou Diagne scoring his first Premier League goal and his first goal in Albion colours. Then, just before the half half time, we defended resiliently until then, when Bruno Fernandes uh, hit a volley right into the top corner. Pretty unstoppable effort. Good goal from him. And we saw the match out. We had plenty of chances. We'll be talking about those later on. But let's run through the team. So Johnston played played quite well. Called upon in one big moment in the game. And that was right at the end for a Harry Maguire header, which was a superb save. Tips it onto the post and makes an absolute fantastic save. Uh, couldn't have asked for any more from Johnston today. Called upon, as Allardyce said, you didn't need to call upon him much. But when, he, when you did, he was there. He was ready. He was uh, available to make a save. Peltier... Came off in the 46, came off at half time for Furlong. Peltier, I think, ran his race, but I think, I think he played solidly, made the tackles when needed to, uh, and did, did the job that he was required. Ajay at centre back and Bartley, I think, played well as a pair, just kicking and defending any anything that came their way. Very decisive, much more compact and decisive unit, I think, with, between them two now. Townsend at left back, 
I thought was really good today. I thought he drove us forward a bit. I thought he was really tough in the tackle, tried his best. And there's no more you can ask really from a lot of these players. I'd say every player has given 100% today. And you can't ask any more of them. Jokoslu in front of the back four making his Premier League debut. Now I thought he was really good today. I think it just, whether it's just because I've been craving seeing a holding midfielder do a proper job for quite a while, I think it's quite um, it's quite disheartening. <laughs> it's quite, you know, quite good to see that somebody, we finally picked up on that absence. I mean, Big Sam, one of his first inquisitions was to find a holding midfielder. And he did that. And he's found Jokoslu. He was really tidy. Let's read out some of his stats. Uh, played 72% of his passes accuracy. Um got himself involved with duels, four duels won, also made making uh, tackles, uh, a few tackles in there as well, three tackles succeeded, uh, two interceptions, seven ball recoveries, what more can you ask for from Jokoslu? Just playing in front of that back four, kept a good eye on Fernandez as well for the time that he, he, he was on the pitch, Jokoslu, but off after 67 minutes, I think that's a problem with match fitness from what I've understood from Allardyce's press conference. That's the problem with him. It's nothing to do with the way he played. I think it's because of the speed of the game. Speed of the game in Spain is quite slow, quite, um, you know, at their own pace. The teams who dominate possession tend to dictate the pace of the game and they don't tend to go very quickly unless they really need a goal. So, Jokoslu, obviously, not up to particular scratch with, with the Albion Albion sort of and Premier League sort of style so he's going to be hopefully featuring more because I thought he played really well today I thought he he managed the game really well I thought he he just he just looked at home in that in front of that back four I think the communication as well was a big thing he was obviously Ajayi him Ajayi and Bartley were communicating well and him with the in front of everybody in the you know him him with people in front of him in the midfield Maitland Niles Gallagher in front of him he's communicating well with them Go to Snodgrass on the right-hand side. Got it stuck in well. Braved, brave, of course. Uh, didn't actually give the didn't actually give the ball away. Today's game. Fun little stat for you. Most tackles in the match with four. Uh, most foul player in the match alongside Jokoslu with two fouls, so fouled twice. Um, yeah, nothing more to say on Snodgrass. Pretty resilient performance. Nice and um, nice and uh, you know just just solid at that right-hand side. There's nothing more you can really ask from him, to be honest. Maitland-Niles, frustrating, frustrating, I'm going to say. Can't really whinge about him, but I thought he got on the ball, was busy. Got, added some legs to the midfield alongside Gallagher, I think. But, however, he just he missed that crucial pass, uh, which he could have played really easily with the left foot and played it with his right on the outside of his foot and just made a real mess of it, I think. Um, yeah, he had chances to show his quality, and I don't think he really did today. There was a ball which led to the first goal for Albion, which he played outside to, I think it was Peltier. Uh, and I think he did really well with that. I think he made a good pass out wide. But yeah, there's chances to show his quality today, Maitland-Niles, and, and he didn't really take it. Yeah, I, I'm a bit frustrated by him, but because he could have potentially won us the game with that pass into Diagne if he got it right. However, all I can say is that he... Um, yeah, he, he tried, he gathered some legs to midfield and I hope we see a bit of an improvement on the ball. But certainly got stuck in and started, you know, provided legs alongside Gallagher. Speaking of Gallagher, an assist for him today. Crossed the ball in for Diagne to score in the, after two minutes. Made a really good, um, made a really good uh, impression of himself today, Gallagher. I thought that was back at his best. Really ragged, really um, tough tackling, getting around, uh, just... Putting in the hard miles, I'd love to see some. I don't have those stats to hand, but I'd love to see his distance stats about how long, how much he runs, because surely that was the most in the game today. Really tried hard, really did did the right sort of things, did the right sort of um, runs, and 
provided a nuisance for people like Bruno Fernandes who are trying to have all the space and time that they want and expected. Gallagher was just getting around them and, and causing them problems. So, yeah, I do have to say Gallagher really well played from him. Pereira a bit quiet. However, his touches on the ball, always quality. Always getting those chances created when he can. So, yeah, I, I can't really complain about Pereira. Just nothing really came off for him today. That's the only thing. Just quality touches on the ball as he as he normally brings to the team. Diagne, oh, it's a frustrating one. He's obviously, he bullied that Manchester United back line today. I thought he really showed his quality in terms of that. He scored. He won the most duels in the match with 11. So, yeah, that's pretty decent from him, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, I thought he did really well up front. I thought he scored, took his goal really well, really dedicated to get that ball. Uh, he had no right to win that header, no right to go in and get that ball, but he did, and he scored the goal, and... Yeah, it was, it was a decent performance. Missed a couple of chances, which I suppose you could say he could have put away. But yeah, he scored his goal and he was a real handful for the Manchester United defence. He really bullied them. You look at Maguire, you look at the size of him and Diagne absolutely tore the pair of them to pieces. Him and Lindelof, you saw, they just they just couldn't handle him. Lindelof was fouling him all the time. I, th I just feel that um, Diagne did, did himself justice out there today and I hope we see more of that sort of performance from him. Real presence up front and what we needed. Uh, and I think Allardyce was pleased with his performance as well. So that's our team. That's how we played. Uh, let's move on to the opposition because, you know, it's only fair. Uh, Man United, I'm going to be quite frank and quite honest. I don't think I've seen much of a, so much of a spineless team come to the Hawthorns in quite a while. I think that team feel they have some sort of... I'm not sure what they think. They have some sort of divine right to come and take points. Harry Maguire, you saw in his um, press conference after the game how he says that he limited us to one chance. Uh, we should have he should have had a penalty. Uh, yeah, I, I just think there was a lot of a lot of um, lot of whinging from Man United's players. You've come up against a hard-working side today. You've come up against a team who are going to fight you till the end to get the points. They're not just going to hand them over to you. I mean, that's not really been the case all season for West Brom, but today it was. Uh, they found a team that's going to fight for the points, and Man United didn't like it. They quite frankly didn't like it, and um, players rolling about, particularly Fernandez. I know that's sort of part of his persona, but um, you know, a really good goal from Fernandez. Have to hold your hands up to that, as Allardyce did in his press conference. Just have to say well done to him. It's a good goal, but did stuff all else in the game really? Uh, so did a lot of their players. Uh, you know, Maguire. What can you say about him? He he got bullied by Diagne. Diagne was all over him. Him and Lindelof couldn't deal with him. Just couldn't handle the the aerial presence of Diagne and him just being too strong. So many times Diagne was fouled in that in that match. Um, you know he was just falling. You know they were just pushing him into the back, kicking him. And the Man United midfield just couldn't deal with Fernandez, especially like in the first half. That there was a couple of reduce. I wouldn't say even say reduces. They weren't even fouls, but there were strong challenges on him, and he was putting his fingers up at the referee, saying, "That's two. That's two. That's two. That they've done. That's two tackles they've done on me." And I just, I, I didn't like the way they conducted themselves. Manchester United, a lot of rolling around, a lot of trying to deceive the referee, especially with that penalty decision. Uh, Maguire clearly just jumped on the floor for no reason. Felt a little arm on the shoulder from a jai, a bit of a tangle of legs. Nothing more to it. Nothing malicious in it. Uh, it was actually offside. For that penalty decision and claiming he should have had a penalty and Allardyce has come out and basically said you're offside mate you know but yeah not not great in the way they conducted themselves Manchester United rolling around on the floor I, I just think there's no need for it really in, in the game 
I think uh, they 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 just couldn't handle a cold and windy uh, windy day at West Brom. They just couldn't. Allardyce has clearly set that team up, our West Brom team, to just go out there and, and rough them up, and they did, and they didn't like it, Manchester United. They can call themselves a title-challenging team, but that's not going to happen, I'm afraid, with, with performances like that. Yeah, a very good game from West Brom. Defended so well as a unit, I think. He's, he, he might just have that t- defence nailed on. I don't want to jinx it. I'm touching touching wood as we speak. I'm touching my desk to make sure that I don't jinx that. But, yeah, he's... um. He's, he's sort of got a bit of organisation in that defence. I think Jokoslu helped a lot. But yeah, a really good performance from West Brom. Should have taken all three. Diagne had two chances, poking one over the bar and also one-on-one with De Gea. But also Maitland-Niles could have passed it to Diagne and made more of it. So yeah, I'm really pleased with the performance. But I think I'm going to see that as two points missed, I'm afraid. It's not a must-win. Don't expect to get anything from it. But once you're there and you get those chances, surely you should you should really want to get those 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 points on the board. From one game to another, we're playing Burnley next week. We're playing them at Turf Moor, I think. Yes, get get your facts right, Louis. Yes, we are playing them next time at Turf Moor on Saturday at 3 o'clock. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting clash. Burnley beat Crystal Palace 3-0 yesterday. They play really well, Burnley. Really organised, really working hard. Yeah, it's they're in good form. They've been playing well, Burnley. They, they, I mean, they, they haven't been playing that well, but they played really well in the game against Crystal Palace. Uh, we're going to have to play some football. That's a simple line to it. Today we didn't have to play much football. We got our chances on the counter attack. Got our chances from set pieces, crosses, and that sort of stuff. We're going to actually come and have to play a bit of football. Try and catch them on the counter attack, but they're going to expect that. Really, that's what they're going to probably try and do. <laughs> Uh, we, we need to finish the chances that we get given, I think. Uh, Diagne finished one out of three chances, that, but he could have had a hat-trick. I mean, yeah, he seems like the sort of person who needs a few chances to get one, but I think he did well with the one that he did get. I think he did a solid job there. However, it's going to be difficult for him uh, playing up against more physical centre-backs, centre-backs that probably won't be bullied. It's going to be people like Tarkovsky, Ben Mee. Not going to get bullied, really. Uh, and th- then you're going to have a midfielder who are going to run as ragged as as you are. That's the thing. Man United didn't want to work hard today. They didn't want they didn't want it really. They came with the expectation that we were going to lie down and just take the defeat. You're going to have that one goal from Bruno Fernandes, and then we wouldn't just provo- we wouldn't be able to provide anything else, and the floodgates would just open for them. It's what they expected. It's not what they got given. Burnley will be expecting now a bit of a more of a showing. Hopefully, um, they'll be expecting a more resilient display from the Albion. That's the bottom line to it. Uh, but yes, it's going to be a difficult game. I'm going to predict a 1-0 West Brom win. I think that we're just going to have to work really hard. We need to win, you know, try and win the next four games. I think we need to have a really good go. I think that's it really after that. I think if you haven't won all four of them, you or, or at least picked up nine out of those 12 points, I think you've got no chance of staying up. You have to go. You've left things too late now, lads. It's going to have to be now or never. If you don't win... If you start losing these games, I think you're you're in a bit of bit of bit of spot of bother. Th- things aren't going to go your way. I mean, you've got difficult fixtures coming up. Really, a- after that, you got Chelsea, Southampton, maybe a winnable game there. But then you got Leicester, Villa, Wolves. Yeah, games are running out. They really are. And we need to get things in order in order to in order to get get uh, survival assured. I mean, it's not not looking very assured now, but. If you make ground on make ground on Burnley by beating them, you make ground on Brighton by beating them. Yeah, you might find yourself with, in a bit of luck. Obviously, Fulham 
fighting for the same cause at the moment, uh, playing um, Everton at the moment as we speak. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what we get out of this game. But I'm going to go for 1-0 West Brom. I just hope that we can repeat performances, finish our chances. Burnley are going to want it as much as we do. We just have to have the quality. I think we've got more quality in the side than Burnley. I just think they work harder than us. That's the problem. But yeah, I believe that we've got a chance of winning this game. And hopefully we can. Hopefully we can pick up a 1-0 win and gain some ground on those outside of the relegation zone. However, earlier this week I spoke to Joe Chapman from Birmingham Mail who covers the West, who covers West Bromwich Albion and Midlands football. I spoke to him about his time uh, over over uh, virtually welcomed him into the Baggies podcast studio for some time uh, talking about his um, experiences reporting on the Albion. It's great to chat to him and you can find that interview just about now. So it was a great chat and I hope you enjoy. But if you want to see more of Joe's work, there's going to be a link in the description for you to watch uh, and you can go and read all of his articles that he posts on there. On this week's episode of the Baggies podcast, we have a very special guest with us, and it's Joe Chapman, who covers West Bromwich Albion and Midlands football for the Birmingham Mail. Joe, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's, it's always a pleasure. So, uh, first question I have for you is, how did you get into the sports journalism and media industry? Oh, well, I very, very quickly decided when I was quite young that I wasn't ever going to make it as a footballer. So, uh, it became apparent, you know, I've always really, really enjoyed writing uh, all the way through school and that kind of thing um kind of booked the trend of my mates who you know couldn't be bothered with that kind of thing a lot of people went for numbers rather than words um when i was at school and then i you know just i started covering my my little brother's football team on a saturday for his website quickly realized i really really enjoyed it and um you know going through school college etc went to university and did sports journalism at staffordshire university for three years did my um you know, graduated from there and um you know very very fortunately rather rather quickly after coming out of that uh that course that getting that degree I, i've managed to get get myself the, the job where i am now so so how you mentioned how you know you've you came out of university and got the job covering midlands football so how did you end up getting that job you know how did you end up coming into reporting for midlands football well i was very very lucky at, at, when I was at university itself, uh, I had a couple of lecturers who, big Albion fans, who had a lot of experience in the industry and uh, who basically had a, a setup with Albion, the club themselves, to mm. do uh, something on match day. So I used to do the fan cam oh, yeah. uh, at, at match, on match day, uh, you know, kind of basically just box popping, a mm. bit of, um, you know, a bit of editing upstairs, goes on the big screen before the game kicks off, mm-hmm. um, did that. Did that for a, a three or four years, and um, while I was at uni, kind of you know Pepe Mel, Steve Clark days, and um, basically from there, really was able to start building up relationships with with journalists who were already there. I was I was given access to the to the uh, the media lounge before the games and during the games, and I was able to kind of just uh, you know start speaking to people really who were in the jobs that I really wanted to to kind of be involved be involved in. So uh, very very fortunately, I was introduced to Matt, who's the editor of the Birmingham Mail, the the, the sports mm-hmm. sports editor of the Birmingham Mail. While I was there, uh, a job relatively quickly became available, and it was a case of just you know doing what you can. You still need so much luck. It doesn't matter who you know. Um, <laughs> so much so much you know fortune you, you the job like that becomes available and you, as you can imagine they had some really really good candidates for it as well so 
yeah, lucky that they kind of decided to give me the gig. And um, yeah, I've been there about six years now. Yeah, so you've been so you've been there about six years, and obviously you mentioned about covering Steve Clark, Pepe Mel's days. Um, what would you say since then uh, your favourite moment covering the Albion has been? Well, I've been covering the Albion full time as the as the the males Birmingham Lives full time uh, report since the beginning of la- only the beginning of last season. So I was kind of a bit of a, a run around on the on the desk, really, you know, kind of just chipping in with Villa and Albion and Blues and Wolves. Um, for the majority of my time at the Mail. But, I mean, last season was very, very special uh, throughout the course of the, the, the campaign. It was still very, very weird when I think back to the moment that promotion was kind of confirmed and, um, you know, the players only really had themselves and, the, and their staff to, staff members to celebrate with on the, on the pitch after the game. Of course, it became very, very apparent very quickly with the noise outside that with thousands of fans awaiting. <laughs> Um, but uh, that night was was still very very special, especially when you go back a few nights before when up at Huddersfield, even myself, I'd resigned myself to the fact that we were going for the playoffs, um, and um, the Saturday morning went off to the pub with my brother, and um, that's a weird thought, isn't it, going to the pub? Yeah. <laughs> and we watched the Stoke Brentford game, uh, hoping against hope that Stoke could do us a favour, and they were just turning a corner, weren't they, um, under yeah. Michael O'Neill and yeah, did us a huge, huge favour. Uh, not a result I saw coming. So, yeah, probably just promotion, I'd have thought. Uh, that was very, very special. I mean, going back, you know, moments that were pretty much in vain at the time, but were, were very, very special in that particular moment. I remember Livermore scoring against Tottenham. Oh, yeah. At yeah. the end of the season, that was in vain. But, you know, <laughs> at the, in that moment, it was so special. Uh, so, you know, I mean, generally... I, I think you speak to most Albion fans over the last five, six years. A lot of Tony Pulis football in there and, um, you know, a lot of decent league finishes. You can't knock West Brom for what they've managed to do in that time. And then, of course, there's that that one year that it did unravel. But um, they have kind of overcome the hurdles, really. You you think of that Huddersfield game, they got a bit of luck, yeah, but they still had to be in the position in the first place to get themselves up. Um, The Villa playoff. You know, they bounced back over the course of 12 months from that uh, and, and the general, you know, slip into the slide into the into the championship in the first place. So um, while it's looking pretty bleak at the moment, you're kind of banking on, on Albion, whether it be this season or next season to to be looking up, up and upwards again. Uh, and you mentioned celebrating promotion, it, it, you know, in the, in the ground and obviously knowing that everybody was outside and not being able to be in the ground with you. What's it like reporting on, on football uh, during these times? Because obviously you've got so many people who feel quite distance, uh, distant from the club and, you know, not being able to go to, to games is not, not a help at all for people uh, uh, in these times. So what's it like being a bit closer, perhaps, than, than everybody else at the moment to, to the club and to the football yeah, well, first of all, I feel very, very fortunate that we're still able to go. I think I speak for most press. There have been one or two situations, not even with with Albion, actually, but with other Midlands clubs uh, where there have been kind of outbreaks of, of COVID and, you know, there have been journalists that have had to self-isolate and miss large chunks of games. It's happened to myself. I've had to, I, I missed the Arsenal game, which was probably quite fortunate. <laughs> um, you know, I, I know there's one or two other guys um local reporters that have had to self-isolate recently as well so it is kind of you are of course like every situation in life at the moment you're taking a little bit of risk you're taking a risk going to the shops aren't you but yeah. um 
I think, yeah, ultimately still the opportunity that we've we've got, the, the, the freedom to still be able to do that is, is it's very, very fortunate, but it is still so important as well for us. You realise when you are at home covering those games, it's just not the same. You do miss so many different aspects um, of, of a match day. Having the fans there in short is rubbish. Uh, rather, having, not having the fans there in short is rubbish because uh, I mean, there are so many things, even in the last 12, 15 months, um, it's, well, it's getting on to 12 months, isn't it? Um, mm. Fans not being there, the things that they've missed, the impact they can have on, on you know, match to match, um, you know, when it comes to actual, the way the team are performing. I'm convinced that, you know, speaking to Blues fans at the minute who are obviously in a position like we are, mm. you feel like at this moment in time, and I know Albion are so cut adrift at the moment, but how much of an impact fans being in the ground would have had for this yeah. big run towards the end of the Definitely. season. If we haven't quite got it in terms of being able to kind of outmatch our opponents through sheer talent and ability, what could 25,000 Albion fans have done in mm. terms of giving them a bit of a, a boost? So um, that's that's obviously just specifically on Albion. That's, that's a real shame. But generally speaking, going home, going away to games... The only perk I can think of is that there's actually car parking now, really. You know, <laughs> could actually find places to park quite easily. Um, but God, no. I mean, going to, especially in the Premier League, going to Old Trafford the other week, going to the Etihad, going to Anfield, you want to see 40, 50, 60,000 fans in stadium. It's just, it's just not possible at the moment. I don't know when it will be. I certainly can't see it being this season. Mm. Um, your hope is that, yeah, I mean, you look further beyond that. The Euros, is there going to be fans there? It's difficult to know at this moment in time. I'd hope that at some point next season that there'll be fans returning. I'm sure that'll be phased in. It's not going to just return to normal overnight. But, um, yeah, in the meantime, we're kind of just having to put up with it and, and hoping that that, that return is uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think you speak for a lot of a lot of Albion fans hoping for that return to come. I mean, this season obviously there's been quite a few drubbings with you know against teams like Palace, Leeds, and and Arsenal, and you you just like you said you just can't help but think if fans had been in the ground, would the team have you know caved into those sorts of results that easily? Uh, and last season, obviously, go back to the last last season, you covered an eventual success story as you mentioned with the the Brentford and the, the Stoke game that was, and the Huddersfield game was a real. Uh, you know, bad point in the season for us, but you know the Brentford and Stoke game. I think it was was it was it Nick Powell who came and got got us out of trouble in in the end. Was it was 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 it him? I can't remember. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking. I know Sam Vokes was playing for them. I can't remember if it was him. Um, yeah, some towering forward from, yeah. from Stoke City. You kind of uh, it was one nil, I think, wasn't it? And yeah, you're thinking to yourself, Brentford are untouchable at the moment. They're just winning games for fun. The the, the front line they had and. Thank God it just didn't click out there. Yeah, and you know, you covered that success story last season. Eventually, what was it like covering such positive news in such a not so positive time towards the end of that season? Yeah, well, I mean, Albion did rather kind of drag themselves over the line. You could see really they had a wonderful twenty nineteen. You know, when you certainly under Slavin, you know, from the summer Mm. to Christmas, I think. You go back through last season and what were the high points? I mean, the Swansea game was just, they played football on a different level that day. Yeah. The goals they scored, the way Pereira was playing. Uh, I remember thinking, you know, you could promote us here and there, really, with mm. the, way we were, the way we were playing that day. And 
you know, Grady was in full flow and Sawyer's and Livermore were in the show midfield. And it just felt like absolutely amazing to be there and to be an Albion fan, to be an Albion reporter. Then they obviously had a pretty awful Christmas. They had an amazing February, which kind of really booked the trend of the rest of 2020, to be honest, because they were mm. they were fabulous that month. And then they were just starting to kind of slip again before lockdown, really. You know, the Swansea game was pretty uninspiring. They were, they were obviously beaten by Wigan. They were beaten by Newcastle in the Cup. Uh, and they didn't really pick up. I don't think lockdown particularly helped them, really, uh, in terms of being able to bounce back from those results, actually we seem to suffer from it more so than Leeds who had a bit of a break who then really properly kicked on and Brentford on the other side of us uh, in the league table were able to kind of, you know, put in place a, a, a yeah. plan of attack in which to, to um, haul us, haul us back in. So we didn't get going, you know, the, the Blues game was pretty, we kind of knew it was coming really. It wasn't going to be a case of it, the ground running. They've been so long without regular match practice that we knew it was going to take a little bit of time. The Brentford game came very quickly, probably too quickly after. And we were poor that night, really poor. Mm. And then we, of course, we, we kind of started, you know, eventually finding our feet again. And I don't think we were very good at Sheffield Wednesday, actually, for the first half. We managed to get ourselves in front and then, we were much better in the second, won that game, beat Derby, which was a really, really important game to win. Rolled Hullover, who were plummeting and were, were always mm. going down. And I think that was it after that, wasn't it? I think, you know, we got a pretty decent point against Fulham, but they were the better side. Yeah. That was the case of keeping them at arm's length. But of course, all the while, Brentford are, are still winning in the background. Um, and then, yeah, that Huddersfield game was pretty awful. So it was very nervy. It felt very nervy throughout the course of the the course of the kind of project restart, really, there were kind of a situation where you knew that Al, it was it was Albion's to lose and Brentford had nothing to lose. They just had one eye on, you know, one one aim rather on, um, on basically just dragging us back down into the playoffs. And, and for a long, long period, it was quite clear that we felt the pressure. And, and Billy said it himself a number of times last season, you know, you'd rather be the hunter than the hunted. Yeah. You'd rather be the team that are in third who uh, have that momentum at the end of the season. And yeah, we managed to get ourselves over the line. Ironically, thanks to Stoke City, who of course <laughs> so much pain over the last few years. Yeah. And um, where, you know, this season, uh, maybe there are, have been a few moments which have been quite positive, but this season you haven't had much good news to report about in terms of Albion. How do you go about reporting and writing about things that, you know, at, at the moment is quite a sensitive subject for Albion, Albion fans, you know, not being, not being on the side of much success? I think it's more important than ever now because fans aren't there. And so you need to kind of be representative of the... The, the, the fan consensus a lot was made about Albion fans football fans sports fans on social media and how that can be quite an interesting yardstick with which to measure a fan base because you get quite a lot of um, extreme kind of you know <laughs> opinions and uh, is it always fairly reflective of, um, of of what the general the general fan base feels I think this situation really, I think it's fair game. When I see some opinions from fans, I think, well, yeah, I mean, Albion are in the bottom three. They're, they're not bottom of the league, 
on the basis that Sheffield United are the only team that have been worse than them this season. They're already how many points adrift. They've been absolutely shocking defensively. Can't hide from these things, really, you know. At the same time, I would temper some of that with the fact that, you know, we, we can point fingers and when it comes to things like recruitment, who's to blame? You can point to the ownership about how Albion will not progress as a football club during the current regime. Ultimately, Albion really have, when you look back at the summer of 2019 and the business they did, bringing in players like Sawyers and Ajayi and Furlong, they were bringing in players with an idea of getting themselves back up into the Premier League. Once those players were there, it's only then fair to kind of actually give them an opportunity yeah. to then. But in the knowledge that you're going into a season with eight, nine, ten players who have never played a minute of Premier League football between them. And that includes players like Pereira, um, Sam Johnston, you know, like not even just kind of players that we've signed from the lower echelon to the Championship or League One. These are players that are, are really not, you know, even our star players last season. I mean, how many minutes you could count on one hand the amount of games Dean Garner played for West Ham in the Premier League? Um, and Carl and Grant for Huddersfield. The the experience was very, very thin on the ground. I think it's been quite telling throughout the course of the season. And um, I think that's probably why the switching management's not really had the desired effect to this point either, because I think ultimately, you know, it's still the same group of players. And while Pulis was able to walk into a dressing room that had Brunt and Morrison and McCauley and Foster and Fletcher was then in, involved, Allardyce just hasn't got that. He, he's, he's working with a group of, of Premier League novices, really. Um, and so learning on the job has been a pretty harsh lesson when you're coming up against some of the quality that the Premier League has. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned there about the transfers. And a question that I wanted to ask you is, as a reporter and a journalist, how do you negotiate a transfer window? Because obviously there's so many different stories, so many different um, sources of information. How do you get the right information and the right stories across to, to the people who, who read your articles? Um, it's not, yeah. I, I don't think there are too many journalists that particularly enjoy transfer windows, to be honest. Because it is, especially nowadays, it is just a minefield. Um, and we, you know, <laughs> if you're an Albion fan, Birmingham, Birmingham, you're live, you'll know that we are somebody that covers everything to the to the nth degree. You know, somebody that if, there's a, if there is a link, if it's a transfer, even if it is only a transfer room, we'll kind of cover it. So it is a case of kind of wading through um, and, and kind of establishing exactly what it is, you know, uh, where the where the kind of the truth is, um, it, it it's it's pretty. I mean, you know, it's about everything. Like with journalism, is you know contacts and and um, mm. building up contacts with agents, for example. Um, and that and then of course you know when it comes to the club as well, you're going to have kind of two sides to the story, aren't you? You know, mm. in, in terms of how far along a deal is or whether a deal's actually even happened in the first place. Agents have got agendas, clubs have got agendas. It, it, yeah. it, it's, it is kind of just finding that um, that kind of happy medium, I suppose. And, and, you know, Albion certainly in the last couple of windows have been busy enough as well. It's not like, you know, you go back a few years where there were January windows that would swing around and there wouldn't be any business done at all. Mm. It's been, it's been very, very, very busy and, there might be names out there that have been linked where deals haven't come to fruition, but actually they've been still of interest to the club um, because 
you know, speaking to Sam about it recently, you know, the names that they've gone through, the list of players, it's not, they didn't start the, the, the transfer window with four or five names and they went and got them. There'll have been quite literally hundreds of names and hundreds mm-hmm. of contacts made. So it is a lot of it. You don't really even might even know it's happening until quite late on um, when players, when players become available. Uh, and we've bought in a few transfers, uh, as you said, uh, reeled off a list of, <laughs> I think he said something like 250 inquiries and contacts made. Uh, how, how do you think these new transfers, you know, Mettler-Niles, Jokoslu, Dianya and Snodgrass are going to fit in at the Abbey? Obviously, we've seen a bit of a, a few of them, but uh, Mettler-Niles and Jokoslu only making their debuts in the in the past game. How do you think they'll fit in at West Brom? Uh, well... It's no small challenge, is it? Really, I mean, the, the one thing I was hoping for was that knowing that Albi were going to do business in January, knowing that they were going to get players over the line, but it was likely going to be later in the window because they didn't have much money to spend, meant that I hoped that in the meantime they could, you know, reel off a few games where they could pick up some positive results just to keep them in touching distance, and they failed to do that. You know, they lost to West Ham when they played well, but you know. They just weren't clinical where West Ham were, and that was on the back of a, a really, really good result against Wolves, of course. You look at the drubbings, as you've already mentioned, over Christmas. Could they have done better against Leeds? I don't know. It's obviously you know, a balancing act, really, because you need to still kind of keep the results in check while having the same squad to work with. And there was a period of limbo, really, where you were kind of waiting for that that moment where, you know, that spot, we're still waiting for it really, you know, that, that spark to come where you'd see a real Allardyce performance, a real, a real kind of Allardyce result. And then, yeah, they lost to West Ham, they lost to Sheffield United, they didn't beat Fulham. Um, and only then now are we starting to see the new, the new, new signings come in. I'm quite excited by Yakushlu actually. I think yeah. he's probably one actually, the, the one that I'm the most kind of interested to see how he gets on. I fully expect him to start this weekend. He's been just, he's been described to me as um, being like Claudio Jakob, who's mm. able to pass a ball. So, you know, for that alone, really, that that's got to be a positive because we've, we've been missing somebody like that for so long since Jakob left. Um, Maitland Niles, it's hard to judge him really on what we saw against Spurs because you no know, Spurs midfield is still one of the best in the league. Uh, it's it's more the next kind of cluster of games, I think, after United, where we've got to start seeing, you know, his influence. And Diany is clearly somebody who can score. It's just got to hold the line, basically, and keep himself <laughs> on side. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he's scored everywhere he's been. So, the, provided Pereira's playing and Snodgrass, hopefully, will get a little bit fitter with each game that goes on. If their supply line's there, as we saw on Sunday, if they can still kind of keep that and keep themselves a little bit tighter at the back, um, then they might just have a squeak in, in some games. It's still an enormous task to get, well, I mean, what are, you, what are you saying, 22 points or so, something like that, between now and the end of the season. You're looking at six, seven wins. I mean, that's that's an enormous, enormous effort. Um, but we still kind of live in hope. You can't just kind of treat the rest of the season from my perspective, like, well, we're down. You, you've still got to kind of, and, uh, I suppose, much like the players themselves and like Allardyce himself, you've kind of got to keep going while there's still a 1% chance. Yeah, 
yeah exactly i think uh although it's you know quite a lot of albion fans will have given up hope i mean i'm still i'm still thinking i want to be optimistic and i want to say there's still probably five percent chance of, of it happening but mm. you know the chances are getting slimmer by every game and points missed going by the, the final question i have for you joe is just one that i i had a particular interest in uh the premier league and the championship prove very different sorts of sorts of leagues which one do you prefer reporting and, and writing about it would, would it be the premier league or the championship um well the championship's an obvious answer if only because see i'll be win more games really yeah, yeah. i think yeah, that's that that's something that but then i don't think really at the same time people i've seen a few fans say this season i'd rather be in the championship anyway but i think you can take for granted very quickly that albion over the last 20 years or so have been very very a good championship team with plenty of Premier League years in there as well. They've been a team that have always been in the top six, whenever they've been in the championship in that time, pretty much since Megson was there. So you, you do take for granted if Albin do go down this season, then there is that um, assumption that they will be a team fighting out for promotion next season. That isn't necessarily going to be the case. So uh, it can quickly, as we've seen with a number of teams, I could reel them all off, you know, Sunderland, Wigan being a couple in the last few years that have just fallen through the trapdoor mm-hmm. in the Championship. Blues are one team that never came back and, again, at this moment in time, look far more likely to go down than, than to come back to the Premier League. So it can so quickly change in the Championship, it becomes a real scrap. And um, and so when you look back at those years under Di Matteo, under Mowbray, under Bilic, you've got to really properly cherish each and every one of them because promotion winning seasons over a 46 game period for us, Albion as a club to have done that so often um, is a, is a real achievement actually. So I'll say the championship in terms of actually, I like the fact there are more midweek games. I enjoy that there's more football full stuff. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that Albion in my lifetime have been a big fish in that pond. Um, but the Premier League is ultimately where you want to be. If you ask an Aston Villa fan or a Wolves fan at the moment, where would they rather be? They're going to say the Premier League. So it's all well and good. You know, if Albion had had the season lead driving, my my answer would be quite different, I'm sure. <laughs> it's probably just a reflection of where we are at this moment in time. But I think I think, um, I think, think the Championship has its merits. I think a lot of fans can overlook it and think, well, Premier League is, of course, a place to be. But I think the... the the gap that's opening up between the sides at the very, very top of the Premier League this makes it a rather distorted league. The Championship is, if nothing else, unpredictable, I suppose. And for that reason, it is enjoyable uh, if you've kind of got your objective head on. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you, Joe, for, for providing uh, an insight into into the Albion and what it's like to p- report on on the Albion. If you want to hear more, this is for the listeners. If you want to hear more f- uh, from Joe, you can find a link in the description, which will take you to his Birmingham Mail articles if you want to keep up with, with the news and the articles that Joe does there. But Joe, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you. Nice one. Thank you. That was Joe Chapman from the Birmingham Mail. Lovely guy and great to speak to him about his... Um, his experiences reporting on the Albion, his experiences reporting, what it's like reporting in these times. Obviously, I hope you enjoyed that. Great to get another guest on the podcast. And hopefully, if you've got any other ideas, guests you'd like to see on the podcast, just give us a message in the in the comments and I'll see if I can see if I can try and get them on. Basically, anybody that you'd like to see, just comment them down below and I'll see what I can do. However, it's now time to hear your thoughts. Of course, you guys have been getting involved. You always are. And I love, love you for it. Getting involved with the polls, things I put on Twitter. So let's hear your thoughts from today's 
today's um today's game. So here's what uh Joe uh WBA says. He says thought it was a good performance, created more clear cut chances, we just need to put them away, but all on a big platform to build on. Yeah, great 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 synopsis really. We um we did have a good performance. We create, create lots of clear cut chances to win. We just need to finish them off. I think that's gonna be the most difficult part of things, but yeah. Yeah, definitely uh, making those um things. We just need a striker who can show composure in the box one on one, and we could have won that. Yeah, I think um Diagne scored the one he shouldn't have really. I don't think he had should have should have should have scored the one that he did. But he, you know, it's just the way it's the way he went for it really. But yeah, I just think he needed a bit more composure certainly in those chances in the box that he had. Uh, Chris, sorry, Tim says uh, unmarked and unchallenged, best player on the pitch, more basis, more basics at the Albion. Yeah, I think Maitland Niles, maybe even Bartley could have done a bit better for that for that goal that the Fernandez scored. It's a great strike, but if you don't give him the room to do so, he won't punish you with that sort of thing. So, yeah, could have done a bit better about that. You guys thinking, what are we going to get from our next four games? You guys have voted. Fifty-eight percent of you have voted one to three points. None, none of you have voted for four to seven. 33% of you have voted for 8 to 11 and 9% of you have voted for 12 points from the next four games. Need to win these four games or as many of them as you can. No excuses anymore. It's now or never. You've had a great chance to pick up three points and maybe you should have today. But yeah, you need to go out and get those three points today, t- uh, next week and see if you can get those, um, get a bit of a run going and start going unbeaten. Because we look too easy at the moment and hopefully we can pick up some valuable victories in these next couple of games. But that brings us to the end of the Baggies podcast. I'd like to thank you very much for joining me. Wherever you're listening from, can you just pop a review, a, a like if you're on YouTube, a review on Apple Podcasts, a download or a follow on Spotify. It'd be great to have you along for the journey. If you just discovered us, hello, I'm Louie. I'm host of the Baggies podcast and I've uh, enjoyed having you along for the ride if you got this far. If you want, follow me on Twitter at the Baggies pod or at LouisBent underscore. Plenty of links in the description for you to discover. Subscribe if you want on YouTube. There's a special link that will take you and subscribe to you for me. If you want to listen on another platform, go and, li- go and do that. If you're a fan of podcasts listening on Spotify, uh, you know, go and listen to it on youtube you can watch me record it live here in my special studio with all my lovely signs behind me but that brings us to the end of the podcast if you've enjoyed it make sure you smash a like follow whatever leave a review it's always nice to hear from you what you think leave a comment if you disagree or agree with whatever i've said and thank you very much to joe for coming on the podcast joe chapman from the birmingham mail you'll see a link in the description for his articles and his work you'll be able to cop that in the link in the description but thank you very much for coming to this episode of the baggies podcast it's been a pleasure having you and hope you have a fantastic week hope you're all staying safe and i'll see you next week goodbye the baggies podcast giving you the latest news views and opinions on all things albion now available on youtube apple podcasts and spotify